We have been, I think within the next week or two weeks, we'll have been in the Sermon on the Mount for a year. A couple of little off-ramps here and there where the Lord has led us, but generally in the Sermon on the Mount for a year. For the last three weeks, um, we've been in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I thought we were done last week. Turns out we're not with those two verses. Um, I guess I make no guarantees about next week. It's so funny to me. I remember when I first started being a pastor a little over four years ago, and I'd probably done four sermons or five sermons, and I called up my pastor, Pastor Jim, and I said, oh my gosh, I had to do a sermon every single week. Like, how in the world am I going to do a sermon every single week? And here will be four weeks on two verses. So I think that the anointing is pretty special, huh? He really is. There's nothing that a believer, that all things are possible for him who believes, and all things are possible for God. So, with that said, I'm not promising you that we're done with 13 and 14, but it will have to be anointing if some more is going to come out of here. The reason that we're still in these two verses is words. I was reading from a book earlier this week. I really, I had already started preparing for the next part of the Sermon on the Mount, and in the book, the, the author quoted these verses. And in the, in the verse where it talks about the narrow way in verse 14, he called it the hard way. And I thought, wow, you know, I've never seen it as the hard way. So I went looking to see what translation he was quoting from. And I'm not sure which one he quoted from, but one translation that does use the word hard instead of the word narrow is the English Standard Version, which is a very, very highly regarded translation, literal translation of the word. So that made me start to think, I wonder what the word is behind the word that's been translated from the Greek into narrow or into hard. And that word is from the Strong's. It's G2347. It's the, it's the word T-H-L-I-B-O. Flebo is the way you would pronounce it. And it turns out that it's not the same word that's narrow earlier in the verse. So let me read you from four translations, and I'll talk to you a little bit more about the words. So my New American Standard, the one that I typically would preach from, reads this way. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Oh, you know, I meant to put the English standard, and I don't think I did. Caitlin, you're not going to have the English standard, so just you'll have to not see it on the screen, but hear it from me. English standard says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The New Living Translation reads, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide, and many who choose that way, for the, the many choose that way. But the gate to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. And the New King James reads very similar. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So it got really interesting to me that it's in my New American Standard, it says, for the gate is small and the way is narrow. In other places it talks about narrow and narrow. It's not the same Greek word. The, the second one that's translated as narrow, as hard, and as difficult, this uh, Greek 2, 2347 in the Strong's, Phlebo, 
is also translated. I started looking for him like, wow, this is expanding my perspective because narrow has a certain meaning in my mind. When I think about what he, what he, he uses the word narrow, I, I think about what he's saying and it paints a picture for me. But when I think about hard, it paints a little bit different picture. When I think about difficult, it paints a little bit different picture. So I'm getting kind of a broader understanding. So I thought, I wonder where else that word flebo is used in the New Testament to get a sense for the breadth of what Jesus is trying to say. The other places where that word is translated, it's translated to things like afflict, afflicted, suffer affliction, and distress. So, excuse me, we're talking about words. Words are what stimulated this conversation this morning. So I went to the actual English dictionary because I think I understand the word hard, I think I understand the word difficult, but when you see them in the dictionary, it I don't know how to explain it, but it it makes them more full. So I looked up these words, narrow, narrow. Now remember, this is in the context of Jesus speaking to to the disciples, I guess, or maybe to the massive crowds, but he's talking about the way that's narrow that leads to life and the path that's broad that leads to destruction. Narrow is to be restricted or strict. Affliction, this is a word that that the Greek word phlebo is translated to in other places in the New Testament. Affliction is something that causes pain or suffering, distress, extreme anxiety, sorrow, or pain. Just a little footnote here. As Christians, we're not supposed to experience anxiety, right? He says, be anxious. the scripture, Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known. Make your request known to God in the peace of God, which you can't understand. I'm forgetting those words exactly. We'll guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So, anxiety we're not supposed to feel, but distress, this, this word distress that can bring anxiety, we have to know what to do with the anxiety. Okay, that is just a quick footnote. Um, difficult. What does it mean if something is difficult? It, it says it's needing much effort or skill to accomplish. Makes me almost want to read the Amplified Bible. So, the way that is narrow requires a great deal of endurance or effort. It's difficult to bear. It causes suffering. And it's difficult to understand. God teaches us in other places in the Bible that his ways are not our ways. That his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So he's taught us in the Proverbs, for example, with that particular scripture, that we need to be conscious that the way that seems right to us may not be the right way. And when we start to expand and look at these words, it gives us a much broader perspective, a deeper understanding of what Jesus is saying to us when he says narrow is the way that leads to life and few are going to pass by it. Because we're going to have to experience these things and we're going to have to make decisions all along that way. Are we going to stay on the way that's difficult or are we going to get off? This is just a thought that came to me this morning, but I think it's relevant I'm going to talk to you about difficulty and and hardness and affliction and all these things that the Bible teaches are part of our walk with Jesus. But we need to understand that there can be difficulty, there can be hardness, there can be affliction in our lives. It has nothing to do with walking with Jesus, right? It's not the Spirit of the Lord on us, walking with us into these things that He told us are going to happen. It's the Spirit of stupid that gets on us sometimes and brings those things into our lives. Amen? Amen. So, so if you think, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus, oh, and you, know, you went and spent your rent money to buy a who knows what, and now your landlord's yelling at you, that wasn't an affliction about heaven. That was just you made a bad decision, right? right? So don't confuse every affliction, every distress, every kind of anxiety that might try to find its way into your life 
with walking with Jesus on the narrow path. Some of them are self-inflicted wounds. Okay. That was a bonus. That was just this morning. Last night, that one wasn't in here. You're welcome. Anything I can do to help. <laughs> okay, let me read you some scripture that, that, that talks to this, this narrow path walk with Jesus. Luke 9.23, this is Jesus speaking. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, taking up our cross daily is kind of a function of denying ourselves. I, I, I've never had what I thought was a really great understanding of what it meant to pick up my cross daily and follow Jesus. You hear people say, well, that's just my cross to bear. That's just my cross to bear. I don't think that's a good way to think about this. I think what Jesus is telling us in pick up your cross daily in order to follow Jesus is that you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. So now you have decisions to make. Part of what would have been your life doesn't get to stay being your life if you're going to follow Jesus. If, you, if you're, um, oh man, I'm trying to think of something that's not, well, this is terribly offensive. If you're a businessman and you're having an affair with your secretary, you're a married man, that's part of your life. You get to have your life, but you can't have your life and his life together. So you have to daily pick up that cross. And basically, if you see somebody carrying a cross, they're making a statement to the world, right? When Jesus, after he was flogged and beaten and had the meat pulled off him and all those things happened to him, they made him carry his cross. And anybody that would have seen Jesus in that day carrying that cross would have known something. And what they would have known is he's a dead man walking, right? He's on his way. Whatever desires he had for his life, whatever things for himself, they're done, Because that cross symbolizes that he's dead to all that, right? It's the same symbolism for us. Now, to be in Jesus doesn't mean that you have to be perfect about carrying that cross. Your heart has to be committed to Jesus sincerely, right? But when you pick up that cross daily, you're saying probably more than to anybody else to yourself that I have died to myself and I live to Jesus. So anything that I would want to do that's outside of that path, I'm dead to that. This cross is my symbol. I pick it up. It reminds me that I've confessed Jesus as Lord of my life, and I'm going to walk with him, not on my own way. All right? Okay. Acts 14, 21 and 22. After they had preached the gospel to that city, so, so they're leaving one city on the way to the next, and made many disciples, they returned back to a place they'd been, to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Tribulation is great trouble or suffering. It's the taking up of the cross. So Paul understood that he, he stopped in this city, in this city, and he, he proclaimed Jesus as the Christ. And he used the scriptures to do that so that they would see, yes, truly, Jesus is the Christ. And he taught them. And then he went on to the next place. But he understood that walking this path with Jesus is hard. So he circled back to see how they're doing. And he encouraged them that they would continue in the faith, that they wouldn't get distracted, that they wouldn't wander off the path, that they would continually carry that cross and understanding that the glory on the other side of the cross was theirs. Let me just insert for you, too, that, that there is all of this is going to be true. It is true if you're truly walking with Jesus, but there is glory in walking with Jesus. It's not a hateful thing. It's an awesome thing, and it's an honoring thing to be able to walk with God into heaven, okay? So don't let the devil get in your head, like, why would I want to be a Christian? 
and here on earth with God. That, yeah, a- amen, absolutely. Okay. So sometimes we want to think thoughts like, well, and I hear this fairly regularly from people that, that will push back on me. And they're like, Pat, you don't understand. God loves me. And, and because he loves me, he understands that I'm not likely to want to walk. The, the, the way I'm going to be with Jesus is different because I don't really have what it takes or who knows what. And God loves me and he's okay with my compromise. And honestly, he will provide grace for your compromise if that switch that's flipped is sincere towards Jesus because God looks at your heart, not at your words, not at your deeds. He looks at your heart to determine whether or not truly you belong to Jesus or not. Holy Spirit is in there, you do. But they want to, want to have this conversation. And, and the thought I have is, okay, well, if, if I'm going to ask you to walk this hard path, and I'm going to ask my son to do it first, before I slacken that path up, I'm going to make it easier on my son, right? I'm going to say, Jesus, you know what? They don't want to do it this way. Well, there's a different way. We'll just do it a different way. I'm going to start with you. So this whole flogging and all that stuff, I'm going to back that off. But that wasn't the, that wasn't the result for Jesus, right? And he even went to the Father, Matthew 26, and he went a little beyond them. So they're in the garden praying. And he, Jesus, fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So when you have that thought like, God, what is this? It's just too hard. So did Jesus. And he saw what was coming before him. He understood. He'd been, intemp- he'd been tempted. He'd been tried in, in every way that any person ever had been, was, or would be. Way worse than any of us. And he asked, he said, can I have it different? Can, can you just widen my path a little bit? Let me drink from a different cup. And the answer was, he went to the cross. He went to the flog. He had his beard pulled out. had the thing jammed into his head. Was spat upon by mere people. God in the flesh. He asked if the path could be a little wider. And the answer was no. This is the path. So you go on a little bit further and you got... Um, I think it's James and John. They're like, you know, we want to be the important guys in the kingdom. So they went and got their mom because Jesus knew them and, you know, they probably knew he wouldn't listen, but maybe they'll listen to my mom. So they get their mom and their mom has this conversation with Jesus about, you know, could you just take my one boy and set him on this side in your kingdom? Because she still thought the kingdom was going to be the kingdom that was going to bounce Rome out of Israel, right? She had this picture of a kingdom that wasn't what Jesus was bringing. She said, well, you can see one of them on this side and one of them on that side. And he's like, you don't understand. That's not mine to give. And then he made these statements. He asked the question, are you able to drink the cup I am about to drink? They said to him, we are able. And then Jesus said to them, my cup you shall drink. So when you look at the trials and the pains and the tribulations that were part of Jesus' path that he had to walk... We drink from that same cup of suffering that Jesus had to drink from. If we're going to have fellowship with him in life, we have to have fellowship with him in death. So if, if there was going to be a better way, and I'm the dad, now trust me, I don't have anything, you know, I'm not God, but I'm going to make it easier for my son and then for you. But he didn't make it easier for Jesus. The only way was the way that was prescribed. For us, the only way is the way that's prescribed. First Peter 5, I'm not going to read all of 5, uh, chapter 5, part of verse 5 through 10. So you're going to get a little bit more than what, I've, what I'm giving you here. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
It's important to understand that, that there is grace, but it's in humility. When we resist God and say, God, there needs to be a better way, there's not grace for that. But when we submit ourselves humbly to God, there's grace that walks with us down this narrow path. It continues, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now we go to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So you have to choose your perspective, right? You know that God is going to allow tribulation, trial, trouble into your life. And you can say, oh my gosh, you know, God, I don't want any of this. Cut it out. Stop it. I mean, I've prayed that prayer a lot. I've prayed it a lot. When I had the first kidney stone, I'm in Kenya, I don't even know what it is. But it's pain like I can't even describe to you. And I started off with that prayer. That was my prayer. And the pain from the kidney stone didn't go away. It continued and it continued and it continued. And my prayer turned into worship. And I started worshiping God. And I said, this is an opportunity that I'm going to declare to you my obedience, my faith, my love for you, whether you take the pain away or not. Because you're God, you're sovereign. Everything is under your control. You could have taken this thing the first time I asked, but you didn't. So I don't know what it is that you're trying to accomplish, but I pray that it gets done. Because if I see it as an opportunity for God to shape me more into the likeness of Jesus, then I can consider it joy when I go through the trial. But if I just see it as pain and hurtful and, oh God, when is it going to stop? Then I'm not necessarily looking at it the way the scripture is teaching me that I should. So as you go through trial, as you go through tribulation, understand that God is working in you endurance. And endurance has a work to do in you so that at the end of that process, you might be mature, you might be complete, and you will lack nothing. It's a matter of perspective. Look at Jesus. If you say, well, man, I don't understand this whole process of narrow road. Look at Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for him the Father, to whom all things and through through whom all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation, that's Jesus, through suffering. Jesus perfected through suffering. Hebrews 5, a a little glimpse here at um, Jesus' narrow way. Verses 7 through 10, this is Jesus that's speaking of. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. See, Jesus' way was not a comfortable way. It was a narrow path. It included pain and suffering to the point where Jesus, when he would go in the night, early in the morning, he'd go up on the mountain by himself. He literally cried out to God. Tears. He's pleading with his Father in heaven. Tears, but not your will, 
or not my will, but your will be done. Jesus walked the hard way before we're asked to do anything. What does it look like for us? We talked about this last week. John the Baptist, as he's baptizing people, he says, therefore, to these guys that are pushing back at him, who are you? What's going on? These Pharisees and things. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You go a little further in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And the crowds were questioning, saying, then what shall we do? And he would answer them, Answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he has food is to do likewise. Well, if I'm a guy with food and you're a guy with no food, it costs me something to share my food with you, right? If I'm a guy with two tunics and it's going to be cold and I'm going to give you one, I'm a little concerned what might happen to mine and I don't have a second one just in case something happens to mine. There's a cost associated with following Jesus. And he's John the Baptist is telling these guys, you've got to bear a certain fruit. Bear fruit that's in keeping with this repentance. Another guy, a tax collector, came along to be baptized. And they said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. So if you're a tax collector, you had a certain obligation to Rome. It's like, this much territory for you, this much taxes. That much taxes. But if you can collect this much taxes, you just keep the rest. The tax collector was despised by his people, but he was a rich guy in town. Because he'd take as much as he want, and Rome would back him up. So the people hated him because he's collecting all this money to enrich himself. Well, if he's going to walk the path with Jesus, he's only going to collect the part that goes to Rome. Now he can't afford his big house, he can't afford, afford all the tunics, and I have a fancy chariot, I don't know what all the guy has, but it cost him something. All that extra money, John the Baptist saying, hey, oh, you only collect what you want. That's fruit in keeping with repentance. There's a cost associated with walking on that narrow path. Mark chapter 9 and verse 35. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, this is Jesus speaking again, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Mark 10, 44, Jesus again. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. So when you see somebody like, um, I don't know, Billy Graham. If Billy Graham's exalted position in the kingdom is a result of God, not of his personality or you know, manipulation, if it's from God, it's because he lowered himself to the least place that God might raise him up. God is not looking for people that are comfortable in no place, just barely in, just kind of getting by. He's saying that we all, he wants to exalt his church up, but the way we get exalted up is we fight over each other who gets to clean the toilet. We fight over, no, I want to wash his feet. No, I want to, you had the turn last time. We're seeking a place of lowliness, a serving place that, that in uh, Mark is literally called a slave. The translation is to be a slave of all, that, that we would be a servant. So as we're walking down that path, that's what it looks like. It's me serving you and you serving him and him serving me. It's us looking after one of each other like Jesus was. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Yeah. Let me tell you a quick story. Have you, have you heard of the Moravians? Anybody heard of the Moravian movement? The Moravians were this, I don't know, sect of Christians sounds bad, but these Christians that lived in what today would be Germany. And they were so devout in their walk with the Lord that they literally prayed 24 hours a day, seven days a week for over 100 years. There were people in their prayer room constantly, constantly seeking the Lord in prayer. 
And they found out that in the Caribbean, like, you know, the, I don't know, the Spaniards or the English or somebody, you know, would go down in the Caribbean and they would take these islands over. And they had enslaved the native people on these Caribbean islands, like maybe the Bahamas or someplace. And they had gone to share Jesus with the people on these islands, but the slave owners wouldn't allow them access to the slaves. So the slaves were not hearing the gospel. So you know what the Moravians did? They sold themselves to the slave owners, gave their lives away to become slaves so that they could be with the slaves so that the slaves could hear the gospel. Amen. Amen. I mean, that is literally dying to yourself. That is saying, I have no life of my own. That's carrying your cross to the nth degree and saying, okay, God, for you, what you did for me, for you... I have no life anymore. I'm going to be a slave to this slave master so that these people can hear the good news about Jesus. I was talking to Finley Molina this week. Just a, just a real life example of what it means to, to pick up that cross and, and how it is to walk in that narrow road. Finley's a fireman, right? I don't know if any of you are policemen or have been policemen or firemen or whatever, but firemen is kind of a macho trade, right? I mean, the, the firemen are are manly men, and, and they go and they do very dangerous things. They put themselves in the way of death, oftentimes. As a matter of fact, they had a run. Finley and his guys did. He said, it's the worst kind of fire that we ever go to. We pray we never go to these kind of fires. We had to go to one like the week before. Where fire, This is the one where most firemen, if they die on the job, it's this kind of fire, right? So guys that do that all the time, there's a certain culture in there. And, it, and it's not a terribly Christian environment, right? I mean, they're strip club goers and cussers and swears and punch you in the arm kind of guys. And it's very difficult for Finley because you want to be part of the group, right? Everybody wants to be included. But with Finley at work, it's very difficult for him to be included because he isn't going to go to the strip club with them. And he's not going to cuss and swear with them. And when they're looking at the books and the pictures and the magazines that they're looking at, Finley can't be part of the group. The other thing that's really tough for him is he's a first responder, so he'll go to a terrible car crash and, and see things that I hope I never have to see. He's had to deal with um, little babies dying in his arms from a car crash. Can you imagine how the devil will try to work your mind? when you're? It's like, how can there be a God and this happen? Finley has to deal with that stuff. That is the narrow, that, that's the constricting things on his path. It'd be so easy to just at work, just for the sake of, I've got to be able to get along with these guys, we've got to be able to be pals so that we can work together. Just hear God, I'm just going to do this stuff with them just so that I can be part of the team. But he doesn't have that option because God doesn't give him that option. Now, if he stumbled and did it one time, does that mean he's, he's, he's going to hell? No. Not if Jesus is truly the Lord of his heart and he just made a mistake. That's what it looks like to walk on the narrow path. Those are the restrictions of a narrow path. All that brings these scriptures so much more into focus for me. 1 Timothy 4.16 Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Now this is Paul speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Mark 13.13 You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Luke 21.19 By your endurance you will gain your lives. 2 Timothy 2.11 and 12 It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he, will all, or he also will deny us. 
John 12, 25. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. You see, all of this about enduring and persevering is because it's not an easy walk. And what the, what the scriptures are telling us is that it takes strength, it takes endurance, it takes perseverance, and it takes more than just our own strength, endurance, and perseverance for us to walk that narrow path right to the finish line. How do we do it? First, John 15, 4 and 5. First, now hear me. Jesus says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in Jesus, in me, Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do I walk this narrow path? When I hit the tribulation, when I hit the pain, all these kind of things that are going to come along because he told me it's going to, how do I do it? You abide in Jesus. If you're struggling, if there's an area of your life that you're constantly stumbling in, that you can't seem to get free of, what do you do? You abide in Jesus. It's in the secret place. It's in the presence of God that your heart is healed, that your mind is transformed, that you come to change and get deliverance and victory over these things so that you can stay on that narrow path. You abide in Jesus. If you don't read his word and you don't spend time with him in prayer and you don't spend time just worshiping God and and just reflecting back to him his goodness and his glory... It is going to be very difficult to have anything to hold on to when the trial and the tribulation comes. If there's any one thing that you could learn, if you never ever heard another word that, that I ever said to you, but you heard, read my Bible, pray, come to know Jesus, read this in a, in a, in a way that has a mind towards God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I want to be a friend to you. I want to be a good son. I want to know you, God you will be a thousand miles towards staying on that narrow path like God's telling us to. Then what else do you do? Galatians 6.2, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus, when they put that cross up on his shoulders, fell down and got up. Fell down and got up. And finally, somebody had to come. Simon? Simeon. Simon. And had to help him carry that cross. If you think that you're going to carry that cross all by yourself until the end of this life, you're probably wrong. Bear one another's burdens. When you see me stumble with my cross, which means I'm not looking like I'm living for Jesus because I'm not carrying that cross, that cross of death to myself, then you've got to come help me carry it. And sometimes you've got to... Uh, I'm saying this wrong. I've got to help you carry yours too. But sometimes I'm not going to know. Because we don't tell people our problems, right? I'm struggling. You know, I don't want you to know I'm struggling. Actually, I don't care if you know because I don't know why I don't care. But I don't care that much. I'll just tell you because you'll pray for me. Because you'll help me. You'll help me carry it. Just like Jesus needed a hand, we need a hand. If we're so afraid that anybody's going to know our stuff that we won't talk, then the body becomes useless to us. And the body is the only way that Jesus describes us, or excuse me, the scripture describes us as a body, a body tight, right? If your your knee is sloppy, it hurts. It doesn't work how it's supposed to. But if those tendons are tight and everything's how it's supposed to be, everything works good. So two things, abide in Jesus and we abide in one another. The Hebrew scripture, 10, 23 through 25. This is three weeks in a row we've read this scripture. Hear this. Hear this in the context of how am I going to stay in that narrow path? 
Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So God is not going to mess up his end of the equation. He is faithful. He's never going to come up short. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the end. You need to understand. I'm talking to you like I'm some special guy. We need to understand that this walk with Jesus is a walk that's not going to be easy because it's going to test us against our flesh over and over and over against our flesh. What I want, what Jesus says. What I want, what Jesus says. What I want, what Jesus says. Pick up the cross. Walk with Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of us. Abide in Jesus every day. Drinking the living water that comes down, comes out. Only that we would abide in Jesus. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you don't do that, you can't have any part in me. Might sound silly to you. I sit in my prayer time and I say, Jesus, I'm eating your flesh and I'm drinking your blood. I don't even know exactly what that means. Probably got a little to do with communion maybe. I don't know. But I want to consume the flesh of Jesus. I want to drink the blood of Jesus. In his blood is life, power. Everything I need is in Jesus. Some of what I need in Jesus, he put in you. He put it in you. And some of what you need in Jesus, he put in me. So the two keys, three keys, three keys. Remember, we always count from this way when we do this. First key is to understand the truth, right? The truth is that it's a narrow path. The wide path doesn't lead to life. You can do whatever you want on the wide You can't find the edge of the wide path. You've got to understand what you've been called to, what you've signed up for. So when it comes, it's like, good. Trial, tribulation, I love it. God's perfected me, making me more like Jesus, number one. Number two, how do we stay there? How do we actually succeed? We abide in Jesus. He's given us everything, all the tools we need, Holy Spirit, God's word, the love of God. As we come into greater revelation of his love, anything that isn't, isn't pleasing to him won't be pleasing to us, but that's a process that happens. And, and the third, third thing, right, the little one, is each other. Because God is in all of us. We have to abide in one another, that we might abide in Christ, that we might be able to walk the narrow path. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. I'm not sure what in the world else I could talk about from those two verses after four weeks. But I didn't think I could this week either. Okay. Let's just pray. Let me stop a minute. Does does, Does the picture broaden for you a little bit about the narrow way and the wide way and, and what Jesus is telling us and understanding the words. And, and use this as a way as you study your Bible. I mean, if you don't have a concordance, get a concordance. The best concordance is, is on your phone or in your iPad. It's so easy. On your computer you can do this kind of stuff. But expand your study. What's that word mean? Where else is that word used? And it will give us a broader picture of the scriptures because English is lame compared to Old Greek. If we could all just, if Old Greek was our first language, the scriptures would be so much more full to us. Or Hebrew, right, for the Old Testament scriptures. All right, let's pray.